What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, and joining me, as always, is Ben Fisher. What's up, Ben? You know, Zach, I don't have a witty intro this week. We got too many important things to talk about. Just keep talking with the plugs. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Uh, this is episode number 19, and today we have a word with Marshall Sutcliffe. But before we get to that, we got to plug our sponsor and a few other things. Of course, we are sponsored by MTG Arena Zone kind of your top destination for all Magic the Gathering arena articles, decks, news, and more. They've got plenty of content for constructed and limited players like from all the top archetypes to theory articles and much more. So check them out for all that sort of stuff. We also have our Discord, completely free Discord server. Uh, we've been having a lot of great conversation there. We've got ton of different channels for every limited format that's available uh, on Arena. We've got channels for even Constructed. We've been having a lot of good conversations around EDH lately with all the Commander's Legends spoilers going on, and it's a great place. The community's great there, so jump on in if you have have the time and have uh, the desire to do that. Uh, the link for that is in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And of course, the, the show is also brought to you by the Patreon. If you're interested in giving back to the show directly, you can do that via patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We've got five or so tiers over there for all sorts of different stuff, including stickers. And I think we still have one founder tier left open, uh, which involves some coaching and such from Ben and I. So uh, if that's your thing and you feel like giving back to the show, that's the place to do it. But that brings us to our main topic. This week, we are joined by Marshall Sutcliffe, the original limited resource himself. How's it going, Marshall? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your day to join us, and uh, I think we have some shenanigans ahead for us today. <laughs> I'm down for shenanigans. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to it. You know, I do a show with Luis. So. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So first up, we've got what we like to call Teferi and Tybalt. Some people call it Roses and Thorns. Marshall, what was it that you call it? Uh, props and Slops. <laughs> props and Slops, yeah. So yeah. different names for it, but uh, essentially it's like a weekly check-in where we see what was the high point from the week, what was the low point from the week. Just good to see how we're doing. So Zach, you want to start us off? Sure. So uh, I guess my tidbit will start there this week is that I've been dealing with a lot of back pain. I think I need to find a new computer chair because I've been sitting in this chair basically 12 to 14 hours a day. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm a site reliability engineer, so I do computer work all day long. <laughs> so I'm at, in this chair for eight hours for work, and then I'm in this chair again for like another four hours plus, depending on whatever uh, random hobbies I have going on. So that has not been fun. Also, work has been super busy, which kind of melds into my Teferi this week. Work's been really busy, which is great, especially, you know, with with all the COVID stuff going on. Um, I'm just blessed to have a job at this point. But so being busy is good. But also the company gave us a mental health day off on Friday. So a hmm. uh, four day week for me. And we're picking up the puppy on Friday as well. So super excited about that. Oh, I can't wait to hear the barking in the background. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. How about you, Ben? Yeah, so uh, my low point, my tibble, uh didn't do too hot in the qualifier weekend. Um, I played Green Black Adventures uh, against everyone's better judgment, including my own. I just couldn't resist. I should have played Yorian, but <laughs> oh well, there's always next month. On the my, my Teferi side, I had a great date over the weekend. Uh, so, Joy, if you're listening, uh, thanks. It was a fun time. And uh, how about and, you, Marshall? Uh, Dang, this guy's going on dates and losing magic tournaments. Sounds <laughs> perfect. Um, for me, I, I'm going to focus my my uh, what was it? Tabalt and Teferi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my Tabalt my on my my watch channel that I've been spending so much effort mm -hmm. on. I started a, a YouTube channel for my uh, vintage watch restoration that I've taken on as a hobby, and I had a very high point and a very very low point with it. Uh, the low point, my Tabalt, was that. Uh, I was in the final stretches of putting this watch back together and 
got a little cocky, got, got a little ahead of myself, and uh, there was a little tiny spring, and I didn't do the thing to make sure it didn't fly away, and it flew away. Oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't find it. Usually, I find it. It, it just takes <laughs> oh, me a no. while. So I had to order another one, which delayed the project by three or four days, which was really annoying. Um, but uh, my Teferi is that it came in the mail. It was perfect. It went in, and the watch is now running great. So it, it had a happy ending. But uh, yeah, you know, you always got to remind yourself that you know it, once you start thinking you're getting good at something, you're probably not. <laughs> you need to be careful. So that was my low and high point for the week. Awesome. Very cool. Well, every week we do at least one, sometimes more than one, listener question as well, and we thought it'd be fun to get that going as well while while we have you here, Marshall. So. This week, Dorigan asks, what do you do to try and figure out whether a draft has gone badly due to bad luck or just human error? Is that for me? Uh, I guess all three of us will answer it, but yeah, go go for it. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I will say that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about luck um, uh, in that way. Like I don't, I don't sit down and try to assign blame as it were like, oh, well, I got unlucky or I screwed up. I do try to review a draft or look back at it and say, were there reasonable steps I could have taken at the time to have changed the outcome of this in a more positive way? And sometimes there were, right? Sometimes I, I misevaluated a card or underrated a card or overrated a card, or maybe I'm, I'm in a rut where I'm drafting the same deck every time, or, uh, or I'm, I kind of have blinders on to a certain strategy, right? Like maybe I'm just, uh, not really feeling an aggro deck or whatever. So I just kind of let one go through my my hands. And that was actually the deck that would have been best for that seat. And those times I, I do focus on those because, uh, you know, that of course is really relevant to you improving as a player. With the luck part, it's usually pretty apparent. Um, you know, if, if you are in a seat that just wasn't going to get a good deck, no matter what direction you went, no matter, even if you did the wrong thing, you know, that in retrospect would have been right, it still would have thrown you off. These happen a percentage of the time. I don't know what percentage it is, but it definitely happens. And those are the times when you just write it off. I just, I don't spend any more time thinking about it. I just understand that that's part of a draft and part of what's going to happen occasionally. And my job isn't to draft a great deck every time. And my job is to draft the best deck for my seat every time. And that is not always the same power level as, as the other deck. Sometimes you end up with an A+, plus, you know, where you open on color bombs and just slot into the right colors and everything goes together. And sometimes you end up with a D and you drafted perfectly. But a bad drafter would have drafted an F. And and that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the part that I try to focus on. Yeah, I think that's that's really good way to put it. You know, some sometimes I don't think we all always focus on the fact that these are random packs, right? Sometimes the packs just break poorly and you don't end up with cards that yep. make your deck feel amazing. Um, yeah, sometimes and that's, somebody changes their mind, you know, and, yep. and switches colors and, and you were reading the table right, but then the table changed and it was too late, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about yeah, you, so something kind of like a personal level up that I've had in the past few years of drafting is sometimes I would get really disappointed when I didn't get to first pick like a bomb rare or something. Um, mm. And we, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about pack one pick ones, right? About what we're going to take first. But something that I think uh, is good to focus on is that often that card doesn't even make your deck. I think if your pack one pick one makes your deck every single time you draft, something's going wrong. So part of that has been kind of zooming back out and looking at some, I guess, quote unquote, bad packs and saying, well, what in this is actually going to slot into a good deck in the end? Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. Hopefully that helps you out, Dorgan. Yeah, maybe maybe don't focus too much on the bad luck part of things, but just try to keep an eye on 
what what can you do to make your your draft better for yourself? Are you getting that best deck in your seat? And if you are, then then you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into our, our main topic. Obviously, we have Marshall Sutcliffe here, which uh, Zach and I have been ecstatic about this for weeks because uh, for those that don't know, uh, that have been living under, I guess, a, an obelisk or something, <laughs> a really just gigantic rock, Marshall is a podcast host. He's a writer, he's a commentator, and he's what I would describe as a, an all-around awesome pillar of the magic community. Everyone knows him. I don't... Everyone loves you, Marshall. Like, how That's did you get true. here? <laughs> I, re- I read Twitch chat, you know, like I see the comments. <laughs> All right. Everyone that matters in the magic community. Uh, yeah, there you go. That, there you go. So uh, we know that you've been interviewed probably more times than you can count. So we didn't want to hit you with the same old questions that, that you've probably had to answer a million times. We wanted to try to get some new things, get you the chance to talk about things that you care about, right? And, <laughs> and hopefully have some fun along the way. Zach, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So some of these questions maybe you've heard before, but to kind of ease us into the, um, you know, the, the whole process here with our audience and such, what was your first experience with, with magic? We kind of talked about this a little bit before recording, but yeah, walk us through that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I, I, my first experience was actually way back when the game first came out in like a, a little after that, but I don't know, 1995 or something like that. I was in high school at the time and, uh, me and, and my best friend, uh, both picked up magic and we liked it, uh, enough to play against each other a lot and maybe one other friend or something, but we just kind of messed around with it. You know, we were, we were definitely filthy casuals or I certainly was. Um, I liked to build decks. Um, limited wasn't a thing and, my, I liked to the creative process of building a deck, but I had no idea how to do it properly. None whatsoever. I didn't know how many lands went in. I didn't even know that that was important. And also I didn't end up playing most of the decks in in any real way. It was a lot of like gold fishing and kind of just exploring the space with my brain, but not actually like putting it to the test. My friend, Jay, he's my best friend, and and he actually was more of a competitive gamer at the time, and he actually played in some tournaments because we both live in Seattle, and so we would go down to this, like, incredible place that they had, um, the Game Center, the Wizards of the Coast Game Center, which was kind of right near the University of Washington. There's a, there's a strip of, there's a road called the Ave, um, University Avenue, and it's all restaurants and bars and, you know, cool shops and stuff like that. And Wizards had a space there that was two floor, two stories and it, it was huge. And the top had like a retail store and like even a little arcade thing and stuff like that. But the bottom was the play area and it was insane. I mean, they had it decorated tables for people to play magic tournaments and they really made a big wow. push and they had a cafe called Del Moody's. <laughs> I remember that where you could get fries or whatever. <laughs> anyway, and me and my buddy would go down there and play every once in a while. He'd play in tournaments and I would just mess around or buy cards and we would do that. And we'd play against each other every once in a while. But that was my extent of it. I just messed around with it. Basically, I owned some cards. I enjoyed it. And that was it. I never really got into it, though, uh, as a as like a real hobby. It was just something that I kind of uh, did it on the side. And then, you know, maybe 10 years, 12, 15 years later or whatever is, is when I got reintroduced to the game and then I got hooked. But my first experiences were way back then. And one, one of the ones uh, that I remember, and I don't think I've actually talked about this because it just never really came up on an interview, but this was really cool. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine from elementary school, he was like a full step nerdier than I was. 
<laughs> so he was full on into D&D and all that kind of stuff too. And I didn't play that. And he got into magic when it first came out. Like he was one of the people that apparently were marketed to by wizards as like, hey, you can play this game in between D&D matches or whatever. Well, he did. <laughs> and at some point he ended up with a shoebox full of cards and he didn't want them anymore. And so he brought them into the comic shop where my friend Jay, who I mentioned, worked and we worked out a deal to buy them. And we gave him 50 bucks for the box of cards or whatever. And that was a lot. I mean, I, I didn't have a job yet or anything. So it was like, you know, we, we split it or something like that. It was a ton of money for us at the time. But we ended up, I mean, he had beta. Every Everything was beta and uh, Arabian Nights in that box. And there was like, there was a, a Juzam Jin and a Mox and a whole bunch of random stuff. And you know, it was worth something at the time. Like we remember feeling like, oh, wow, we kind of hit it. This is great or whatever. Um, but I ended up, you know, not really doing much with those cards and then finding them later. And while it wasn't like a treasure trove of thousands and thousands of dollars, there was some pretty sweet stuff in there mm -hmm. uh, that I found, I don't know, when I started playing again, like 10 years ago. So that, that was kind of a sweet early purchase that I, I wish I just would have put that box away and <laughs> ignored it, but I probably traded it all for craw worms or whatever. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, I'd never heard of that, uh, that wizard store. Does that still exist? No, God, no. It, it only lasted for a couple of years down there. It was incredible. One of my favorite memories too, is there was this guy down there and I don't even know what his name was. I never knew what his name was. We just called him the point guy. <laughs> and they had a rule that you weren't allowed to sell magic cards down there because it was a wizard's space. So yeah. they had a retail store and so they, they didn't, and they didn't sell singles though. So obviously when you have a group full of magic players, they want to buy singles, right? And, but wizards wasn't able to sell singles in that way, but they also didn't want people down there hawking cards all the time. It was meant to be a place where you could go play magic. And so one guy got around it by having binders and binders full of cards. And instead of dollars, I know this is just completely genius. He called them points. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was this card is three points. And that just meant it was three bucks. And what you would do is you'd pull out all the cards you wanted. Then you'd go upstairs and go out onto the Ave. And then you'd give them the money like some type of shady drug deal <laughs> or something. And, and you would do that. But I remember um, I did buy one card from him. Um, and I since sold it or something, but a friend actually gave me one, uh, for a birthday a long time later, but I bought a chaos orb. Um, oh, and that's awesome. it was an unlimited chaos orb. And that was because I love the artist Mark Tadine and I loved that card. I mean, it wasn't legal or anything like this was well beyond the time when, you know, people were telling those, those, you know, urban legends about people ripping up chaos orbs or whatever. Um, this was way past that. I just thought the card was sweet and I wanted to own one because uh, I had a little bit more of a collector vibe than I do now. And uh, and I bought it from him. I paid 20 bucks for it, I remember. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. So this Which, might... Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. This might play into it, but um, did you have a first favorite magic card? Yeah. What did I like back then? Uh, you know, one thing that stood out to me when I did find my old collection all that time later <laughs> was I had damn good taste. <laughs> <laughs> because one card that I loved and it made no sense for me whatsoever to love was Wasteland. Oh. And I had six Wastelands, which was, I had more of that card than any other card in my collection, like any common, anything oh. else that I had gotten. For some reason, I had this obsession with Wasteland, even though it wasn't fun. I didn't even put it in most of my decks. Uh, so that was a card that I really liked for some God knows what reason. Another card I liked was Bazaar of Baghdad. 
And I actually <laughs> had one of those back then too. I bought it off of eBay, like super early eBay, like a few years kind of after I stopped playing, but I had gotten a job or something and, and I still wanted that card. I don't even know why. And I bought it. So I had a bazaar of Baghdad. So and again, I did not build a deck around it. I had no idea that it was even powerful. I just thought it was sweet because I like the artwork and I really like Arabian Nights. Like that's that's probably my favorite set. Like I love the set symbol on it and everything about that. And then the other cards though that I actually like to play with, there was a couple. One was um, Lurgoyf, mm. uh, which was the kind of predecessor to Tarmogoyf that, that cared about cards in the, in the, in the graveyard. And, uh, I liked that. I ha I remember, um, I did not remember it at the time at all, but the flavor text on Lurgoif says, Ak Hans run. It's the Lurgoif. Right. And I remember thinking that was so funny, uh, back then. And I actually named a deck, like I found the deck box and I wrote Ak Hans run on the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I just, cute. I don't even know why I did that or why I thought that was funny. And, but I was just weird or whatever. And then the other cards that I really liked, my favorite combo deck that I built, because uh, I was trying, again, to be some type of, you know, um, Johnny or something at the time. And I built a deck around Snake Basket and Ashnod's Altar and a card called, I think it was called Gaia's Liege or something like that. But basically what it was is Ashnod's Altar lets you sacrifice creatures to make two mana so you sack a creature mm -hmm. you get a, you get two mana and then snake basket is an artifact that cost x and i think when it etbs or something like that you get that many snakes and then the Le liege of the hollows i think that's what it was called liege of the hollows mm -hmm. and it was like this kind of crappy it's like it's like two gg for like a three three but when you sacrifice it um you can get like that many squirrel tokens, like equal to its power, how much mana, I can't remember what it was, but basically you could sacrifice that to make a bunch of squirrel tokens, then sacrifice all of those to, to double it and then get that many snakes. And I thought I was nice. So, <laughs> th those were my favorite cards. I had really horrendous taste and I had not yet understood the true power of mana war, even though it did exist at the time. <laughs> well, okay. uh, my first favorite card, my first favorite card was celestial archon, uh, which is mm. not, anywhere close to the the power level of some of the cards we're talking about for you so yeah um, i mean i was so old school those cards were just all busted you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean i saw a a four power flyer that was also an aura and i was like whoa you can do that that's a sweet <laughs> card i like that yeah yeah I, sphinx's rev for me is is easily my favorite card i'm a dirty look at this guy just yeah. goes oh, okay. and drops the bomb on us huh? i just oh you know i'll just go for sphinx's revelation real casual you know yeah he he looked at the game once saw sphinx's rev and he hasn't looked back yeah i'm yeah. a dirty Do you also major, like lightning say? bolt and counterspell I, you know <laughs> <laughs> you know i have been one to play those cards every now and there then you go. I, I am too. I'm not lying. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually one of my biggest like things when I got back to the game. Uh, I started back in M10 uh, for those who don't know. But when I got back to the game, I found I had two full play sets of lightning bolts. And I was just ooh. like, ooh, yeah, I'm so happy about this. Going like to put the, those on the stack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love lightning bolt. Just everything about it. And again, I don't, I've just been I feel like I'm really lucky because I can't remember why I decide to do these things, but then I do them and then like they work out well. Like for example, not just the Wastelands, but when I first started doing coverage, I got it into my head that I wanted a playset of beta lightning bolts. I've always loved the way the card looked. I had one before. And so what I would do is when I would go cover GPs, 
I would walk around on my break to the vendors and I would just look for like a decent deal on like a really good condition lightning bolt, you know, not, not like perfect, perfect, but like near mint or whatever. Right. I didn't want to, I didn't want beat up ones. I wanted nice ones. And you know, people would be like, Oh, Hey Marshall. I'm like, Hey, what's up? I'm like, yeah. You, you got any decent beta bolts? Yeah. You know, I'll give it to you for this. And I'm like done. And I bought them and I don't know, I think they cost like 40 or 50 bucks each at the time, which I felt like was kind of stupid because I really didn't need them. But I was also playing constructed and PTQ in and stuff a fair bit then. And, uh, you know, they did reprint lightning bolt in like M11, I think it was. So, you know, I needed them. <laughs> right. And, but now I just have them sitting, but they went up so much. Like now they're worth like infinite. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just going to like follow my gut on this stuff. Now, if I think a card's cool, then it's going to become cool at some point. I'll just have to wait. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. you go. I think that's, that's the trick, right? Everybody, you know, magic's not a cheap hobby, but if you join in mm -hmm. to the hobby, and then you leave it, you buy a bunch of cards and you leave and come back like 10 years later, you suddenly have all this money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just wait on it. Yep. Stocks. So next question we have for you here is uh, describe your MTG play style in one word, if you can. Tempo. Oh, tempo. I love it. That, that's me as well. Ooh, now, oh, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on this because this is, this is a question that comes up every once in a while in the magic community. How do you define tempo? Well, the the way I, I define it for my play style is my dream game is that I either return things to your hand or use cheap interaction to negate early things and kill you with, I'll give you five cards in hand. I, I want, I want to <laughs> strand five cards just stuck in your hand when you die. That's my dream. Right. And, and meanwhile, I use the last card out of my hands to finish the job. Like I, I <laughs> yeah. want to be super efficient and knock you off balance, right? Like you play a creature, I want to bounce it back to your hand. You play a spell, I want to bounce that back to your hand or counter it for less mana than you spent while also applying pressure. One of my favorite decks probably ever to play was when Modern first came out. There was a Teamer deck, a Delver deck. Mm -hmm. And it had Tarmogoyf and Delver, and then it played a bunch of cheap, you know, it played the lightning bolts. In fact, I used those exact bolts I was talking about in that mm -hmm. deck. And yeah, you know, you you would mana leak stuff and you would, uh, you know, use whatever the cheapest counters that you could, the cheapest interaction that you could. And you, you get your opponent dead by clocking them over the course of three or four turns with like a Goyf and a flip Delver or one or the other. So that that to me is is exactly the type of thing that I want to do now in a more broad sense, um, you know, to answer your question about tempo, you know, the way that, that I categorize it is basically when you can spend less mana or when you can spend your mana on something that's a temporary effect that you can use to, to win the game before your opponent can recover. So, mm -hmm. you know, the ultimate tempo card is probably like an unsummon, right? Which does not solve the problem for you unless you can kill your opponent before the problem comes back or becomes big enough problem for you to, to die. And, yeah. you know, so I view all of those type of cards as, as tempo plays, plays that use your resources to simply set back your opponent and then force you to capitalize on that setback. And if you can't, you'll lose. I mean, if, you know, if you build a deck with, with no pressure and a bunch of unsummons, you will lose every single time. Right. So it's, it's that kind of combination that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sweet. That's pretty close to, uh, I guess, my play style as well. Personally, I, I guess I'm a little closer to Andrew Cunio. I'd rather just draw my card, play my island, and let you do your thing and then tell you you mm -hmm. can't do your thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Ben's, Ben's a dirty uh, green-black graveyard matters mid-range uh, player. 
I like Although that. I will say, in, in, in limited, uh, my favorite form of card advantage is stranding cards in my dead opponent's hand. In limited, that's how I do it. But it uh, feels so good, doesn't it? Yeah, I love yeah, that does. feeling. Really, best feeling in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a, a bit of an interesting next question here. So on your M21 Sunset Show, in limited resources, uh, which mm-hmm. for those that, uh, for some, in in some bizarre twist of fate are familiar with our podcast and not limited resources. Just stop listening to us. Go listen to limited resources. Um, <laughs> we, we probably have a pretty big overlap on that Venn diagram. I'm sure, I, I yeah. would guess so. Yeah. Uh, so on your M21 sunset show, LSV requested that you remove the most frustrating bad card to lose to uh, with some objection from yourself. If mm-hmm. I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm happy to announce that with your blessing, we would love to have that show or that uh that question migrate over to our uh sure. format farewell show. You guys could use it. I can't <laughs> stop you anyway. <laughs> Go for it. it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna try to 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 clean that. Like, cause he had a point, but also his point wasn't right. So it was like <laughs> I need to figure out what he was really trying to say because they were different things, but like not in the way he was saying, but yeah, that might be it. Uh, well, he was comparing it to one of the other categories we had, and I can't remember what it was now. It was like a newer one that I had put in. But might have been yeah, like sure, a, go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, then, um, we were wondering so far in, in uh, Zendikar, um, mm-hmm. what is your most frustrating bad card to lose to that you found? In Zendikar. Um, let's see. I have lost a lot in Zendikar. Uh, <laughs> I, I usually... Look at this as far as, oh, this is actually, yeah, this is what he was uh, comparing it to, which is the the card that I never win with, but always seems to beat me, mm-hmm. right? Th- th- those are the categories that were too close, which, I, again, I think he's right about that, um, but we need to just reword something there. Um, one card that I've lost to a fair bit was is Might of Marasa, mm-hmm. the, you know, kicked plus five, plus five. That is a type of card that can steal a game because it turns out five is a heck of a lot of damage. Um, I... I don't know that I'd go as far as to call that a bad card, but it is a card that I think, you know, often doesn't make the cut. Um, but when it does, it's not embarrassing or anything like that. So that one isn't quite enough. Um, let's see. What other cards do I lose to a lot that I'm like, oh, God, really? Oh, I know one, Kite Sail. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the decks should not put Kite Sail in their list. Uh, people people have too low of a bar for what their card does for them to help them win. And kite sail is a perfect example of that. You know, you kind of read it and you go, eh, it's flying. Like I, that's a good ability. I'll sure. <laughs> right. But they're not like kind of running the math on, is it worth an entire card slot in my deck to do that? And spoiler alert, it's not. There are times when it is, I actually streamed yesterday and my chat bullied me into running it in a warrior's <laughs> deck that had two core blade masters uh. And there it was good because your equipped warriors get double strike. So like if you just have like the random four, three, like the expedition champion or whatever it's called, and you just throw the kite sail on that, it's four power flying double strike as long as your uh, blade masters on the battlefield. Now that ends the game in a turn or two, you know, so that actually is worth it. And I did like how it performed there. So if, like most cards, there is a place and a time for it. But when I lose to that card in just like a random, you know, a deck that's not really taking advantage of it. I'm always just like, Duh, like that shouldn't be in your deck. Of course, you know, cause I get to tell people what cards should or shouldn't, you know, <laughs> it's obviously not how it works, but, but you know, there are many times where I beat that card and I usually think, eh, 
the reason I won this game is probably because you put that card in your deck, right? You just played a card that did so little and my cards actually did stuff and that's how I was able to win. But when I lose to it, it, it feels the reverse of that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like I said, with your blessing, we're happy to adopt that question into yeah, our Yeah, go for it. <laughs> have fun, yeah. All right, so next up here, we have a little bit of a, uh, less of a gameplay question for you, but um, if you had to live on any plane from Magic as an ordinary non-magical citizen, which would it be? Oh my God. I... <laughs> Things I don't ever think about, <laughs> Alex. Um, how about, all right. How about Arabian Nights? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was my guess for you too. <laughs> it's the closest to Earth because <laughs> it takes place on Earth. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I feel like if I lived in like Ravnica and I was a non-magical being, I would get killed and like like some rogue would just slip my throat in half a second. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that was cool. Right? If, if I'm on Zendikar, a rock is falling on me like 100% of the time. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is stupid. Why did I choose this plane? At least... If I go to Arabian Nights, I know my way around a little bit. I can learn the language or whatever and, and carve out a nice little life for myself. So <laughs> I'm going to go there. That's fair. For having, for having not thought about that prior, you, you gave a very adequate answer there. I, I like that. Yeah, deeply Speaking, adequate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of languages, real quick, this is not on our, our agenda here, but you are bilingual right you can speak you speak german as well as English. yeah i can speak german yeah mm-hmm. so i have an exchange sister i call her my sister but uh she she's from germany and she's getting mm-hmm. married this this summer so i've been learning german and i have a very brief question for you about the language okay as a native mm-hmm. english speaker how do mm-hmm. you handle the, the like the ch sound in like ich and the uh-huh. r sound like i have no idea how i'm supposed to pronounce those so most native English speakers have really, really difficult time with those two sounds. And I honestly have no clue why, but I don't have a hard time with those sounds. I like it's it's weird. When I first started learning German, I realized I can make those sounds and it sounds like how they do. And I was like, OK. And I took a class at some point and everybody else was terrible. And I was like, wow, I actually sound better than this or whatever. And it actually screwed me up. Because when I went over there, I would say the words that I knew at the time, but I would say them well enough so that like it sounded like I really knew what I was doing and I didn't. I was like still learning like vocabulary and like getting up to speed with how people actually speak in a language versus how you you learn it at school, which is totally different. Mm -hmm. And it got me into trouble because they're like, oh, wow, great. You're just no German. And I'm like, yeah, no, I really don't. (laughs) You're speaking way too fast. I can't hear what you're saying. Um, very difficult. Those sounds are really hard. The, the, the tips I would give are to soften both of them. You know, English speakers tend to generalize about, uh, languages like German and think that they're very harsh and they're not right. Um, you know, ich is, is a soft ich, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not ich where you're like, you know, choking or something like that. And the R's are similar there. It's air, right? It's, it's in the back of your throat. It's like a, it's a softer, thing. It can be uh, hard. You can say it hard and it's still correct. But if, if I was learning it again, I would tell myself to don't be afraid to, to soften those a lot and move them to the back of your throat as far as you can. And then th- th- that's kind of the best way that I can describe how to make those sounds. Perfect. Danke. Bitte. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another bit more magic question for you. Zach and I and our community, we've been building a cube. And mm-hmm. it is a draft chaff cube. So the requirement to get in 
is mm-hmm. you have to be uh, not unplayable, but you have to be clearly a, a draft chaff card, like something uh-huh. that no one wants for Constructed to get in. So um, we have some nonsense. <laughs> Actually, it got a big boost from this set because I had been uh, buying for red-white uh, equipment, which is mm-hmm. a lot of historical awful cards from draft. Um, so if you could suggest one card or one archetype or, or some kind of input for this cube, what, what would you consider? Uh, from, from Zendikar or... In general, general, we're going as far back as you want. So what, what's like a draft chaff archetype or card that, that you think could be fun in a cube like this? Oh, this is great. I mean, my mind automatically... Now, I don't know if, if you can support them fully, but I go to like build-around cards, mm-hmm. right? Like cards that were... that Because those are the ones that stand out. Like if I just, you know, name some random common or whatever, that, that doesn't really have any punch to it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so my brain goes to those. So I would look to some of my favorite... Uh, you know, build around cards of all time. Um, many of these come from uh, like Innistrad, right? Was was very very good for build arounds. One of the cards um, that stands out was was Burning Vengeance, mm-hmm. uh, which is two in a red enchantment. Whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, it does two damage to a creature or player. So like primarily flashback based, but can be you know whatever uh you know any you can ca- there's other cards you can cast from your graveyard as well um but those can fit in if you can work in enough cards that that actually do it so i would like that um let's see i i i don't yeah i i am thinking about like some of the more broad themed type cards and i that, that i and there's so many that i would not put in a cube like that like you mentioned equipment stuff maybe not i don't know uh it depends on on how much stuff is there um if you want to go full trash, like really bad, yep. One theme that I'd like to to explore are cards that care about prevent or augment shuffling. Ooh, that's <laughs> awesome, right? Yeah, you know, and like a little twist that you could put on it are cards that shuffle cards back in uh, to your graveyard or something like that. You know, there's been multiple printings of cards like that. There's a card uh, I don't remember what it's called. But it's like, I think it's a one, one for one in blue. And I think it gets like a counter every time you shuffle or something like that might we want to look into, uh, oh, but obviously yeah. I can't remember the name, but yeah, I, I would explore the space. Let's just say on <laughs> cares about shuffling because who cares Love about it. shuffling? Oh, take notes, Zach. We're, we're, oh, we're going to look into that one. Absolutely. One that I've really wanted to do is big butts. Uh, one of my first ever like individual decks that I built without net decking was uh, an assault formation deck, which makes mm. your creatures attack with power instead of t- or with toughness Great. instead of power. I'd Great. love to do something like that. You could have high alert, make it like the Bant uh, color scheme. Yeah, you know, awesome. there's a you you could expand that to things that switch power and toughness as mm. well, because uh, mm. there's a lot of those that are worth building around, like Doran, and there's an enchantment that does it too. So yeah, that'd Absolutely. be sweet. Very cool. Cares about shuffling. Got it. <laughs> awesome. Pretty bad, though. Exactly what we're. Oh no, that's. This is not going to be a powered. This, 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 be... this cube sounds amazing. By the way. I love it. Oh, we're super hyped for it. When it when it finishes, yeah. we might actually. We've we've talked a few times on the show about giving it a giving a copy away to one of our uh, one of our listeners. So hopefully, oh, we can that's get great. To do that. Yeah, because this is not going to be an expensive endeavor, right? Exactly. Like you're no. just getting a bunch of five cent commons and co- uncommons or whatever. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's dope. I love it. We'll definitely be posting updates with this. Um, that is sweet. Yeah. So I guess next question to get off of magic a, a little bit. If you mm-hmm. were a potato, how would you want to be prepared and served? Oh, I'd want to be a uh, French fry. 
Okay, yeah. just just a generic French fry? Or are you curly cut? Like, come on, give me some details. Well, so I would specifically want to be a French fry from my favorite fast food restaurant, which is a, a local restaurant in Seattle that's been around since the 50s. It's called Dick's Drive-In, and it is a Seattle favorite. Uh, there's mm-hmm. five or six of them around. I mean, my dad went there when he was in high school. It's like where all the car people went to like show off their cool cars. I mean, it was, mm. th- this is how long it's been around. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they do the thing where you can watch them take that big potato thing where they put it in and then they pull down this big handle and it like <laughs> shoots out the fries out the bottom. I definitely would want to get peeled and put into that machine and then, <laughs> and then made into French fries from Dick's. That, that's my, that, that's the way that I'd go out for sure. Perfect. I'm glad we get to expand on the, the French fry discourse that you started in LR. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I feel like it would be a, like a, kind of a utilitarian way to go as well because you make somebody happy right you're on your way out but you're going anyway you might as well become a tasty snack for somebody on their on their day or whatever does anybody right. not like french fries i feel like that's just a universally enjoyed food chris kavartek really yeah he said not to eat them because they're unhealthy he's a training dietitian okay i'll give well, him a pass for that yeah <laughs> i mean he's obviously right but like yeah. he probably likes them <laughs> but he's against them. He took a strong public stance against French fries in an interview mm. that we did with him at the Mythic <laughs> Championship. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. I could, you know, make healthy choices at all times. Sure. I right. could, you know, choose to play the best deck instead of green, black adventures. But sometimes you just do things because you want to. <laughs> That's right. Agreed. <laughs> another another bit of a nonsense question here for you. Let's say that uh COVID, the pandemic, it it progresses and it mutates a little bit and it turns into, say, a zombie apocalypse. Uh, (laughs) How long would you last in a zombie apocalypse? Oh, I would be amazing. Like, I am the guy you want. Oh, totally. Like, I'm all set for it. Like, not really. Like, I'm not one of those, like, I don't have a gun. I don't even know how to shoot one. (laughs) I think I have a knife that I use to open up, like, UPS packages, but that's about it. But I have done a lot of hiking. So I vaguely know how to get around in the woods and like how to make shelters and stuff like that. Mm. So at least I wouldn't be drawing dead on that part. I'll eat anything. So bugs or whatever, <laughs> I'm good to go. You know, I'm not picky eater. So that's that's a big strength of mine. Also, check this out. I have wristwatches that don't require batteries. They'll just run, right? Like we'll always uh. know what time it is when we're getting away from the zombies because that could be relevant on some level. <laughs> Are those the motion-based um, ones, right? They like charge themselves when they're moving? Is uh, that- yeah, yeah. I have some of those. And then I also have some that you have to just wind up on the side. So I you see. can pick. You know, I've got so many of them at this point that if the apocalypse hits, Zach and Ben, you guys each get a watch and you can just pick whichever Perfect. one you want. Awesome, man. <laughs> we'll, we'll be calling you up. <laughs> I can't carry them all, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then also I like camping and stuff. So I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be complaining that much when we were. I'm, I'm just assuming that we're heading up to the mountains to try to get away. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's actually the best strategy, but that's what I would do at least to start. Well, you're also, yeah, so I think I'm good to go. Like I'm a, I'm a pack one, pick one, a zombie apocalypse (laughs) partner for sure. Yeah. Well, you also, you you play a lot of basketball too. So your endurance is pretty high. Good cardio. Yeah, it was until the pandemic hit. So if the pandemic itself actually turned into the zombie apocalypse, I'm in bad bad way. Like I haven't done hardly any physical activity for months now. So, cause basketball was really the thing I had played three times a week, but you know, basketball's hard, you know, you go hard mm. when you, when you're hoop. And now I, I'm just like, I've gone for a couple of runs and I'm just like, I hate literally everything about it. Like I just hate my entire life when mm. I'm running with no hoop at the end of it. So mm. I would need to, to 
get get off my butt a little bit and get into better shape. But I feel like it's not too far away. Like I might mm. be able to get it back quickly. That's probably a dream. But <laughs> well, I'm, now I'm disappointed that we're on the wrong sides of the country. Just in case this does happen. But uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to go for quite a trek to get your watch. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, and this is one that I've been super excited to get your take on. So. Uh, Watsi has decided they will be making changes to draft as a format. What's the number one change you're hoping to see? And what's the number one change you're hoping not to see? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, so this gets a little tricky because digital is so different than paper. Uh, you know, a change that they made a few years back that I really liked was the change to league play. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, but that doesn't, that's not really applicable for uh for regular booster draft um okay so here's a couple of ones for tournament drafting let's say for paper so i would like it to be that you're allowed to look at your picks anytime you want and it, when you do a high level paper draft you only can look at the cards that you've taken at very specific intervals in between packs for a limited number of a uh, limited amount of time mm -hmm. and that that tests a particular skill which is just your memory um, I don't really like having that be part of the equation. Like to me, drafting uses enough of your brain that like literally memorizing the cards that you've taken isn't real. Like, Hey, how many two drops do you have? I don't know. Like one or two probably, you know, like I, I don't like that being part of the, the strat strategic equation. Um, so I would, I would try to get that in there. Um, cause I like that a lot. Um, this is probably outside of the scope of the question, but I'm going to throw it anyway. Go for it. Which is, I wish that they would make booster packs that were for drafters only. Hmm. Because if you look at what Wizards is trying to do at this point with what they put into a booster pack, it's ridiculous, right? They're trying to appease four to five different groups of players all with this one package, right? Especially before they started coming out with commander-specific product where, you know, you'd see this random three color gold something uh, you know legendary creature at mythic and you're like what does this have anything to do with this set at all mm -hmm. right and then you're and then somebody would be like it's for a commander like it's a seed so that people can get this commander that they've never printed in these four colors or whatever and you're like oh okay but it's unplayable and limited it's just trash right mm -hmm. and then there's all these other cards too that are like uh super narrow constructed cards for other formats for, for say for legacy or something, right. That they'll occasionally throw a bone at legacy and put a card in there that has nothing to do with, with even standard or limited. And then they have to do constructed cards, just regular standard cards. Well, that means they have to put busted mythic rares in because that's what sells packs and that's what people expect for, for standard. Well, those ruin limited games. Like mm. I know a lot of people like it, that it gives players that are less experienced uh, also known as bad players, the ability to win, right? Like this is the shortcut is, well, let's bad players win, right? That's what people say. Mm -hmm. And I don't really buy that because while that is somewhat true, Mana Screw also does that. And also it's not a fun experience really for either player. I don't think when one person goes play my huge mythic rare and the other person goes, yep, you got it. And just scoops up their cards like that. I don't think that that newer player is sitting there thinking like, I got this. I'm good at this. And it's kind of like what happened? The game's over. Right. Yeah. Or I attacked with it twice and the, and I won the game. And also it ignores the fact that bad players also, uh, air quotes, bad players also lose to these cards. The, the, the good players air quotes come in 
And they get to open up Mythic sometimes too, and they smash the ever-loving crap out of the newer players with it. And that's really disheartening as a new player where you're just like, I didn't even get to play. Like you played some dragon on turn five. I didn't have a removal spell and I died two, two turns later. There was nothing I could have done there. That's not a fun feeling either. So mm-hmm. to me, if we can have packs that were only for limited, that would be ideal. Because you could get rid of these super overpowered mythics and have them be good bombs, right? Like solid, you know, exciting, splashy things that didn't have to meet the bar of constructed, that had to meet the bar of being relevant in limited. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd really like, I, I mean, I know that that's not going to happen. Like that, that doesn't make sense from a marketing, you know, packaging standpoint. But when you open up a completely busted mythic, it just doesn't have a place in limited, right? It's just like, this is nobody who was designing a set only for limited would put a card this good in relative to the other cards. Like it just feels silly, you know, to have some of the cards that are just so, so overpowered that they just don't really fit in what's going on in there. And uh, so yeah, I would make that change. Um, and what was the other side of the question? It was a change you're hoping not to see, but real quick, just to, to touch on one, something you said there, do you see that like the way that they have, kind of split into they have like set boosters now they have draft boosters now so they've they've named it that but it's no different than what we're used to as a, as a booster pack and then they have all these different types right. of boosters do you see them ever moving because i would think they'd have to collate it different right they're not going to design two sets just to get draft boosters so if we ever did see a what you're describing as a draft booster what do you think they would have to change with the actual collation of packs would it just be commons and uncommons they just ignore rares altogether or No, I think you want rares and I think you want mythic rares and I think you want them to be very strong cards. They're fun. They're interesting. They can do things with the design space that you can't do on commons that are on commons. And I I don't mind. I want bombs in my format. I want exciting cards to open. That's a big appeal to limit it. I don't want them gone. I just don't want them literally 10 times better than Mm -hmm. any uncommon right? It, it's it, The disparity is just too big. I want it to be a big, powerful, splashy, cool card that doesn't just auto win the game or put, your, put yourself in a position where your opponent either answers it immediately or loses, or we've even seen bombs where they can't be answered, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, they stay, you know, if you guys remember Tetsamok or whatever, like yep. these are cards mm-hmm. that are just yeah. like, they're not interactable, right? I want all of my limited matches and cards to be uh, interaction. And, you know, from a design standpoint, just as an example, and this would be another answer for, for the original question is like, I would never print hexproof or shroud or anything like that. I hate that mechanic. Protection. And I also would take protection from anything off the table. The mm-hmm. one that I did like was when they, um, they had hexproof from a color that one felt okay to me. Like that was a, a tempered version of, of what we saw. But like protection from a color, I hate, and I hate just blanket hexproof as well. I, those to me reduce interaction. And all I want in my limited matches is interaction. I want all my limited sets to have uh, good removal, playable removal, um, you know, at common so that no matter what my opponent does, if I've managed my resources correctly, I can have an answer for it in hand and kill it, you know? And when they print bombs that you can't kill or interact with, I, I just, it's just uninteresting, right? Like I don't mind losing. I lose all the time. I'm used to that. But if my opponent plays a thing and I just can't do anything about it, it's like, well, what am I doing here? Right? Like no matter, like I can literally flip my whole library over and I don't have an answer for that card in it. Like (laughs) what are we doing? Right? Like that part I don't like. So would you, uh, would you consider dream trawler interactable? Not enough. No, 
No, I, th- that's a perfect example of a card I would never, ever have an unlimited set. You know, yeah. the only thing that Dream Trawler does is have a tough mana cost. And it's not impossible by any stretch. It's just difficult. And that was the only hedge that they gave us. Otherwise, I mean, the card never loses. And, you know, going back to your question, Zach, about where they go with the um, with the packaging and stuff, we've definitely seen them start to take moves to break things away. The commander products being set out, the boosters, as you described as well. And now we see a whole lot of supple- supplemental stuff that they really couldn't fit into a booster pack, like the... Um, what's it called? The secret layers and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, that they tried to kind of work these special edition stuff into boosters, but orig- now they're just like, screw it. Let's just separate them out. And it works better that way. And I do think that those are steps in that direction. I don't, however, see a world like, I think if they only, if they made boosters that were only for limited, they just wouldn't sell enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, there's a lot of limited players around, but that would have to be this sort of niche product that was off to the side. And like you said, I don't think that they want to dedicate an entire extra stretch of R&D time and resources to just making one, you know, just to make it the limited set the way that they want it. So, yeah. And that's okay. I mean, I don't think that it's a disaster they, the way they have it. I The sets have been great and I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that it's a needed change. It's just that I think of the world in terms of like, how sweet would it be if we had an entire set that was literally just for, for limited players where we didn't have those crazy imbalances? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So next question, again, off magic. Would you rather always be five minutes late or an hour early? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, well, I, I guess I'll answer this based on real life, and that's mm-hmm. five minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not generally late. Uh, I will say that, but I always cut it close. Like, I'm always a person that's just, like, trying to get the most value, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, And, I mean, if it's something important, I'll be there early, early. But for the most part, like the way, like when it comes to getting on airplanes and doing all of that stuff, I'm always just pushing my luck with it. Uh, and generally uh, it works out. Okay. I rarely actually miss. Mm-hmm. See, With airplanes, I'm one of those people that doesn't fly often enough to feel comfortable with it. So I'm at the airport like an hour and a half early and I'm like, why did I do this? Like I, yeah. I should, <laughs> every time I do that, I'm just like, I, I could be just at home playing magic still or something. So, yeah. and, and I am comfortable with it, you know, cause I haven't traveled so much. So I'm just like, I'll get through the line. It won't be a problem. And usually I do. One of my my life's like greatest blunders involves being in an airport too early. I went out to uh, the West Coast, California for a an interview, uh, what, two years now? Two years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. And the company paid for me to get out there. They paid for a car for me to like drive around. I had a rental that I could just use. And I was supposed to get in on, I think it was a Wednesday. I interviewed, I got in Wednesday, late Wednesday evening. I interviewed on Thursday and the interview was supposed to be over by like noon or one-ish local time. And then mm-hmm. I, t- I was taking a red eye out of, so it was like a 9.30 p.m. flight or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interview was over at noon. So what did I do? I drove right back to the airport, gave in the car, and just sat there for about seven hours. <laughs> oh, brutal. <laughs> Dude, you were oh, in yeah, that? that's a punt. Yeah, that, absolutely. That, in California, of all places, you said? Yeah. Yeah, the interview was wow. in San Jose, oh, so... Yeah, it was it was not one of my brightest moments. He got out there. He's like, "This just isn't as good as New Jersey." I'm just gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> New, New Jersey, famous for having plenty of interesting things to do compared to California. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. I, I I also learned a similar lesson. I went to the airport early once, just like I was like, you know what? I just I'm not gonna stress it today. I, this is like in the middle of traveling and everything. And I got there and then I had similar, I had like two hours and I'm like, well, now I'm just bored. 
So I got out my laptop and I started drafting. <laughs> And then I drafted all the way through my when my flight took off and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a major mistake for oh, sure. Man. I'm like, do you even I'll play never magic be on time again. <laughs> hmm? I mean, do you even play magic if you haven't missed a flight because of it? That that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. That's like it's a rite of passage, you know. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Sort of a meta question here for you, but what's the one interview question you've always hoped someone would ask, but nobody ever has? Um I'm pretty open on interviews. I usually try to tell people like you can fire away. Like if it's, if it's something that I really can't or won't answer, I'll let you know. But otherwise, like, you know, I, I like to get into a real discussion like we're having here, right? Like I, I don't, I don't like having questions just fired at me and then I just answer them and then that's it. Right. I like to get into it a little bit and have a real conversation with somebody. So, you know, for me, I usually just say like green light, like fire it off, you know? Um, I, I'm often surprised that people that when I tell people that, that they don't ask more like personal questions or more like life questions or more like, um, behind the scenes podcast stuff, you know, stuff like that. Th th those are the questions that I kind of expect, but most people don't. I mean, they're probably just being polite, you know, <laughs> not asking rude questions or whatever, but, uh, I don't know. I also tell people like you can fire away and I mean it, you know, like mm -hmm. they can ask whatever. Again, I can't ask, answer literally everything, but like, you know, one of the things that comes up all the time, uh, you know, for people, uh, that are content creators in, in the magic space is like, what's your relationship with wizards of the coast, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you a shill, right? Are you like some sellout that won't ever say anything about them? Or, you know, what do you think about them or, or that kind of stuff and how that works? You know, those are the type of questions that I usually expect people to ask, but they never do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think well, then, here I, I can fire one at you real quick. Then I, I, this is something that's been on my mind and probably a lot of our listeners minds too, if we want to get uh, personal, so to speak. So mm -hmm. how have you been, uh, like dealing with mental health through the pandemic, because this is something that I've been going back and forth on trying new things, like trying to focus on self-care, but then trying to double check if I even know what self-care is. So mm -hmm. how have you been doing through the pandemic? How has it impacted you? And, and what have you been doing to, uh, to stay on top of it? See, there's a good question. There we go. Now we're getting Thanks. personal. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been a really interesting ride for me uh, for the pandemic because when it first started, um, I was fine. In fact, I felt some amount of relief because I was getting pretty burnt out on travel. I'd been just traveling for eight years in a row and it was getting to be a bit much. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I found out that my next couple of events were, I wasn't going to travel for them, I kind of felt like, well, that could be worse. Of course, I was naive at the time and also thought that the pandemic was going to last uh, just, you know, some number of months rather than a year plus or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of settled in and, you know, it also gave me something to focus on, you know, as far as like making sure I had all the supplies I needed and that um, I was going to be good to set everything up here at home and work from home. And, you know, it just kind of recenters you a little bit. And so I was feeling fine. Um, I started working more on the YouTube channel I mentioned before, the, the watches one. Um, I did extra episodes of the podcast. I did extra uh, draft videos for for people just because I felt like it was needed at the time and like just would be a good thing to do. You know, so I was like pretty motivated and doing well. And then at some point I hit like a mental breaking point that I didn't really anticipate. And man, it was bad. I felt terrible. I was depressed for sure, um, which I've never really struggled with depression before in my life outside of like, uh, you know, like when somebody dies or something and you feel sad for a long time, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing has happened. But I kind of felt like that was natural. But I've never felt it. I've never felt depressed from like 
for a reason I didn't understand. And that happened here. And it was bad. I, I felt awful, like really the worst I felt mentally in my whole life easily, um, where, you know, you, you just wake up and you're just like empty, you know, and mm -hmm. I was strong enough, smart enough, uh, aware of enough. I don't know what the, what trait it is that led me to do this, but I kept doing the things that I do because I know that at some point I'm going to get out on the other side of this feeling and I'm going to want those things to be intact, like the podcast and videos and stuff like that. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is I didn't want to do them. Um, you know, I had effectively no motivation whatsoever to do anything. Uh, I would stay in bed a lot, you know, um, feel sad all day, just really, really, really down. And it was scary. Like I, again, being not used to that, it, it, it definitely changes the way that you think about mental health. Um, when it comes to, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people kind of pull the old school thing of like, Oh, just pull yourself up and get to work and do your thing. It's, yeah. It doesn't work like that. You know, I, there were definitely times where, uh, if I needed to do my job during that time, I wouldn't have been able to. Now I was able to get myself together for the most part for the jobs that I needed to do, but that was close. Like I, you know, I really didn't feel good about doing it. I had to really push myself. Um, and I've had to do a lot of introspection about why I feel this way and what was going on. And, um, you know, I, I've been seeing a therapist for a, actually a while, like kind of off and on, but, um, but I started making sure to see her like once a week for sure, no matter what. Right. Because like, I'm, I'm not doing well. Like I have to look at myself and go, you're not doing well, dude. Like this isn't the normal you at all. And there's something going on. And, you know, it turns out that the pandemic itself has a huge blanket effect on most people where they kind of use up their reserves. And then when those are gone, you're very, very vulnerable. Uh, and that's how I was. And I didn't realize it until I didn't realize the effect it was having on me until I really kind of crashed out. And again, that was a real struggle for me. And uh, I've been able to just sort of keep keep on the path and keep working at it. And um, after uh, quite a while, I've started to now, uh, the past, I would say two months or so, I've kind of gone back to feeling like pretty normal. Like I'm not good, I wouldn't say, like compared to before where like I have, I get to see people and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm able to work now, like every day, like I've been putting tons of time in on all my magic and watch stuff. So I've really felt more productive and, and better about it. And I feel uh, I don't feel that real deep depth of sadness that I had felt for a while. So I feel really good about that. But that took a lot of work. Like I, I had to really become a lot more self-aware during this time. Um, you know, and it makes sense. It's like, it's not, it's weird because when you're living the life, you don't really think about it and it's like hard to understand. But if, if I were to explain to you what happened to me in the wake of the pandemic, you would be like, well, yeah, you, <laughs> you're probably pretty depressed at this point. Like primarily, you know, I travel so much that it leaves my home life not quite as robust as a normal person who doesn't travel that much, right? Where you have like a circle of friends and family members and things that you do every week and places that you like to go and all that stuff. I have that, but it's like a stripped down version because every Friday I'm heading off to the airport and I'm gone all weekend. And that's when mm -hmm. a lot of the yeah. social stuff happens at home, you know, and I'm older now too. So like a lot of my friends have kids and family. So, you know, the, the, the friends that I grew up with and that I hung out with for most of my life, you know, they're busy, real, you know, family life busy. And so I don't get to just pop by and watch a football game with them anymore or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And so my social circles exist in the magic community. They're my friends from coverage. They're my friends from 
traveling for magic events, the players and the judges and the people, you know, the professional players and the people in, in those circles are my people. And so I was getting all of my social fix when I was on the road and interacting with them. And that got stripped away from me in a heartbeat. And I yeah. had to look around here and go, dude, you've let it go here, right? Like you have not maintained the friendships and the things that you need to have like a robust sort of full life at home. A lot of your life is on the road. And that, I didn't like that, right? And also it meant that I didn't have as much here to lean on when I needed it. And so, you know, if I would explain that to you, you'd be like, well, duh, like, you know, you, you've been traveling for eight years straight. You don't have, you know, the robust circle here that you once had. And on top of it, I work from home. Like I have for this whole time. I don't have that structure, right? There's something to be said, even if you don't love your job, to getting up and needing to be a place and somebody expecting you to be there and you feeling like you got something done and you changed your scenery and, you know, you place yourself, humans place themselves in like kind of a hierarchy societally, right? And it doesn't matter where you fit in. It's just that you do fit in, right? Like you might be the lowest rung at your new job, but you know where you stand. That person's my boss. I work with that person. Oh, there goes the big CEO, right? And you kind of get a sense of yourself relative to other people, right? And maybe you're the big dog and, and I own this company and, and I fire people and hire people and I make the decisions. And then there's other people that look up to you, right? And you might be in the middle, right? Like most people are somewhere in, in the middle. They land somewhere in the middle. And I don't have that. It's just me, mm -hmm. right? Like when it comes to LR, when it comes to the stuff that I do, it's like I either do it or it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I do get to hang out with Luis. I do get to, you know, spend a couple hours with him a week. And I talk to him every day, uh, on online, but like, I only get to really hang out with him for the show. And then of course we're doing the show. So we're working, you know? So when you add up all that stuff and then you layer the pandemic and the stress that our country's in right now, um, politically and with the pandemic, it's a lot. It is a real lot. And I didn't recognize that. And I just kind of kept plowing forward thinking I was okay. And I wasn't. And when I hit that wall, I hit it hard and it really sucked. Yeah. And I feel extremely grateful that I'm feeling a little bit better now because I don't want to go back to that place. It sucks. It's really bad. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thanks for sharing. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're glad to hear that you're, you're kind of back on the other side of things now. I'll say, um, so I'm a full-time teacher right now and mm -hmm. uh, I teach physics and astronomy. And right now my school is hybrid. Uh, so I go in every day. I do kind of have that... Um, that structure that you mentioned of that there are, uh, there's principles above me and, and uh, my students beneath me, I guess right. you could say. Um, right. So even though I have this, um, and I think this is helping, and I've, I've been trying to stay on top of things with like, um, you know, hopping on like uh, an Among Us or, or like a Minecraft server game with my friends uh, and, and making sure I keep up that interaction to try to have that. Um, I, I once heard a friend that told me that the best time to start going to therapy is right before you think you need it. Um, yep. Is that true? Could you comment on that? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Like if you can know yourself well enough to know the markers for something's a little off, something's not going in the right direction, something you can get ahead of it. Cause otherwise you have to dig yourself out of a hole, you know? Yeah. And like, I, you know, I think every person needs to make their own decision with regards to like the treatment that they receive, you know, medication wise and treatment wise. But I, would vastly prefer to not have to take medication. Like I, I don't like the idea of it. It makes me uncomfortable, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was able to not, 
but it was on the table for me. And the person I was talking to is not the type of therapist that just does that as a first, you know, first option. But for me, you know, I made it clear to her that 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 is something I'd like to avoid, but also I trust her opinion. And if she felt like that was something that could help me or that I needed, then I would go down that route. So we kind of had it on the back burner in case I wanted to pull the trigger, but I didn't. That just happens to be that I didn't hear though. I think people should use whatever means they have at their disposal to help them because again, my natural resting mental state is not depressed, but there are people that that, that, that is not the case where they wake up every day of their life in that mental state on some level. And I feel so much empathy for them. Um, and I would do anything I could to try to get out of that, including medication, anything like that. I think using the tools that you have is what you need to do because it is no way to live. It really isn't. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. The other thing I learned from it, by the way, was that, um, is that I can, when I'm on the air, cause that's the other problem, right? Is that you know, I used to work on a website, right, for AT&T. Well, if I was depressed, which I wasn't then, but if I had been, I could probably drag myself into work and just sit in front of the computer and pretend like I was working or do the minimum or whatever. Nobody really bothered me at that job. But the job I have now, I got to know what's going on. I got to be engaging. I have to be on. I'm literally on a camera, right? Like, <laughs> not just figuratively. I'm like, there's a camera pointed at me, so I have to like get dressed and and be presentable and all these things, that is a much, much, much different thing. But I learned I can actually do it. Like once I can get into that flow of it, I can switch off whatever part of my brain is thinking too much about the world's problems or about my problems or whatever. And I can just focus on the thing. And then at the other end, then I'm just like, you know, like I'm, (laughs) I'm half dead, but I did learn that about myself too. And that's a good thing to, to know. But yeah, I agree with the timing on that, Ben. If, you don't want to wait too long. You know, if, if you wait too long, you have a lot more work to do for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a great takeaway. If you're going to take away anything from this interview, guys, take care of yourselves. Go see yeah. go see the people you need to see. There's absolutely nothing wrong with seeing a therapist. They're, they're, for a long time, I think there has been a stigma on, you know, yeah. oh, I see a therapist. I personally think everybody should be seeing one, even if you feel like you're happy all the time. Like, it's just good to, to talk about stuff with people who aren't necessarily involved in what you're talking about. Yes, uh, I agree. And it's interesting because I mentioned it on the podcast. Um, We were doing a QA and a episode and somebody asked how we were doing on the pandemic. And I just answered, honestly, I was like, I'm not doing good. You know, I'm really struggling Mm -hmm. or whatever. But I figured that it was worth it to mention that just because uh, I know that sometimes people can feel alone with stuff like that. And we have a big enough audience that I felt like somebody could hear what I was saying and go, it's not just you, right? Like yeah. everybody's feeling some level of this stuff and, and it was hard. But then I got a, a pretty strong response of people being like, you know, good job. You were able to stand up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that wasn't really what I was going for. Like I was just answering the question and felt like it made sense to do so. But then I recognized that like it does actually matter to normalize that kind of stuff. And I don't have any shame in my, like, I'm like, I, I I don't mind it at all, you know? So, you know, I don't mind like, like this, like this conversation, like talking to you guys, I, you know, it doesn't, I don't feel like, boy, I got something I should say here. You know, I had to see a therapist, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. no, it's fine. Like you just go talk to somebody. It's not really that big of a deal, but it can really help. You know, so I, I agree with what you said, Zach. It, it really can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, especially after everything our country's been through, I, I think we're going to need a lot of 
focus on emotional intelligence over the next few years and however long it ends up being before um because this is affecting everyone to different extents right Mm -hmm. um some people uh are honestly going about their lives like nothing is wrong and i i think it is eventually going to hurt them mentally in ways that they don't understand yet and those that are starting to realize well yes this is hurting us mentally i think uh, now or yesterday is probably the best time to start looking into things for this. So I, I've been thinking of uh, looking into therapy for a long time, but uh, this was kind of been like the motivator that's made me go, you know, maybe it's time to actually do this. I think you should. I mean, it also it's, it's just, I don't know. I think people think that like you're laying on some couch and being like, you know, showing a bunch of oddly shaped pictures and that's how you <laughs> yeah, interpret yeah. your dreams or something. And it's just not like that. You know, it's, uh, I think Zach, you hit on this. Uh, there's something to be said simply for speaking about the things that are in your mind. Absolutely. You know, like, I think that that's a lot of what therapy is, is just the ability to let the things out in your mind in an honest way to somebody who can listen and give you feedback, but that also it won't hurt their feelings. Yeah. And they won't, they won't pull punches either because they don't, right. They're not involved. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get to a slightly, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of a lighter question. Worst task Back to the potatoes or yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> worst task in Among Us. What is it? <laughs> okay, so this is really interesting because I've never played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've let yet to play a single game of Among Us. I haven't even downloaded it. I do not have the game, but I have watched so much Among Us that yeah. I can actually answer these questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I hear people talk about it. So based on my observations, the hardest task is Simon Says where you have to mimic the little keypad thing. Yeah. And the reason why it's hard, it seems to me, is that it takes a while and somebody always hits the button when you're like half a second from being done with it. Absolutely. So that's probably it. But I'm going to pick a different one. And it's based on me as a viewer. And that's the stupid one where you like empty the leaves out of the trash or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like your whole task is to pull a handle down. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. Like the, the, the wires one is cool, right? It's simple, but like z- 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 done, right? The uh-huh. one where you like drag these things into the case, right? The leaf and the, like, that's kind of like, okay, I'm dragging things. The asteroids one's, you know, basically a game. That's just the game inside a game. <laughs> right. Which is cool. Right. And like the telescope's kind of fun. But this one is just like you pull down a handle and it goes and you empty the trash. Like that's a, that one is the worst. That that gets my vote. Are you uh, a damn one of these? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's up there. Are you, are you on the the fence or not? I shouldn't say the fence. Are you on the same side as like LSV and some others with uh, the one? I think it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know the task. I also don't play the game, but there's, um, there, there's like the, the thing where you have to align the, uh, the the laser or whatever. I don't know. There's like, there's one task where you have to like align a laser or something, but you don't actually have to align it. It, You don't have to get perfectly straight with it. No, it's funny because you can get it perfect, but it will allow you to pass without it. And that is offensive. Like every time somebody does it without getting it perfect, I'm like, no, it it feels (laughs) wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, the worst, I don't even know if it's a task or whatever. I guess it is, is I think they call it med bay scanner and it just, it scans you up and down, but apparently there's like a glitch in it or or it wasn't designed right where like you can tell that somebody's not an imposter because if they're not an imposter and they're scanning, you're not allowed to go on it. Mm-hmm. Um, where if an imposter is like fake scanning on it or whatever, then the person can just jump on. 
basically what it says is, is that if somebody's on it and you can't get on, they can't be the imposter. Mm-hmm. And so they had to make a house rule, at least in the the one that I watch in Luis's uh, discord for this, that you can't use that information. You can't, you can't use that. That's probably the worst task just from a design mm-hmm. standpoint, because it just lets you eliminate people as imposters, which is, you know, you're supposed to have to figure that out on your own, of yeah. course. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I absolutely loved the, uh, AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and mm-hmm. Elon, uh, their their stream of that. So that was sweet. awesome. I uh, love I, that. Yeah. I, I, I was just fascinated by how many people came out to watch that. It was like 500,000 or something. I know. I was watching. It was insane. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I think that was the the, lar- the second largest or the largest Twitch stream in history, like single stream in history. It was. Yeah. It was that and Ninja stream with Drake, I think, was the other biggest. <laughs> <laughs> So here's a bit of a, a magic tangential one. If you had to be trapped inside the art of any magic card, what would mm-hmm. it be? Oh, it'd be Mana Warp. It would be my really? my favorite one. Yeah, because here's the thing. It's a beautiful ocean, right? So you, you're swimming, you're having a nice day. Yeah, there's a scary shark on my favorite artwork of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But our hero, the Mana War, has... Uh, detained the shark and is dragging it away so that I can just swim in peace. Okay. So this is partially a loaded question because Ben and I talked about this ahead of time, wondering what you would answer. And we were actually back and forth on whether or not you would say man of war, but, and I'm going to spill the beans here on you, Ben, a little bit, but Ben is like, like hates jellyfish. Absolutely hates them. (laughs) Oh, sweet. (laughs) So, okay, hear me out. Hear me out. So I'm a surfer. I've grown up at the beach my whole life and these jellyfish Something on like a fundamental level just yeah. pisses me off about them. Like, like they they don't have brains. So right. the fact that they don't have brains, but they're going around just causing havoc and, and chaos and messing with people. And then when they bump your leg as you're like waiting for a wave, you're like, ah, is there are there more of them? Did that one sting? Is it actually? Was one time there there was actually a Portuguese man of war that had drifted up from the Caribbean to an Ocean City, New Jersey beach, which is where I'm from. And wow. I, like, oh man, oh, they, they, they get me. Okay. But I have to tell you, you know, a Portuguese man of war is not actually a jellyfish. It is a combination of organisms that resembles a jellyfish strongly, but isn't actually in the same category as a jellyfish. Oh, it's so like a different. Does that get it off the hook or is it close enough from your mind that it still falls into the category? Hmm. I guess functionally it's identical, but. I guess if structurally it's different, then I guess I can give it a pass. Yeah, I mean, the difference is that it has like multiple organisms that are actually combined together that each serve a role, uh, a mutual, you know, role. And and that creates this sort of organism. But, you know, I mean, it's obviously different from a regular jellyfish in that it can actually uh, float to the top, right? Where most mm-hmm. jellyfish are actually in the water and just sort of going with the the, the waves, you know? Admittedly, the multi-organism thing is pretty cool. I, I guess I like them. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move them up a tier in my head. But, but it's still from the bottom. It's still close <laughs> to the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. We'll take me, me and Manowar will take take it as a victory. There you go. You, uh, you kind of, you've returned Ben to his own hand. There you go. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, okay. So we've got a couple questions left for you here. Okay. So if you could make any change to Zendikar Rising as a limited format, what would it be and why? Um. First thing that comes to mind is Roost of Drakes mm. being too strong. Um, I would probably move it to rare. Interesting. 
Um, that would be the first thing that I would do. I, I, we see this card a little too often for its strength. Mm. Um, the other thing I would do, I really think it's a good set. Um, I think it's going to get a good grade on our sunset show for it. And I've enjoyed drafting it to this day nonstop basically. So, uh, we're talking about tweaks here. Mm -hmm. So what I would do though, is, um, there are a few archetypes that missed. One of them that comes to mind is the green, black plus one, plus one counters deck just missed. And I would swap out a couple of the commons there for improved versions of what they are. Uh, and I would also upgrade the uncommons, particularly the gold signpost. The skeleton is very mediocre compared to the really great payoffs that you get for the other type uh, archetypes. And I would scrap that card completely. And I would start over again with some sweet plus one, plus one counters payoff to make it go a little bit better. Um, so I would basically be looking to knock off the high points, cards like Roost of Drakes, either rarity shift them or nerf them. Um, and then I would be looking to just tweak some of the commons and uncommons in the archetypes that missed to pull them up to even. And, and then I think we'd have like a freaking perfect set. I mean, really, this set would be fantastic if, if we did those things. Yeah, totally agree. Maybe it's already Hagrid, really good. But. Maybe Hagrid Constrictor needs like one more counter on it. Now that might be a little push, but. Yeah, like Hagrid Constrictor is a fine magic card that doesn't have enough friends, right? Mm -hmm. Like the stupid um two three that when it dies it puts a counter on a creature not the muck lord yeah the muck lord like that is a what the muck right we, we <laughs> got to get that card out of here we need to replace that with something that just comes with a counter like you know the 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 two the, the one one that gets a counter you know the the green one the right like that's the kind of card yeah the dauntless guy that's the type of card that you need more access to or cards like that you know another one that comes to mind is the the uncommon the four drop the three and a black that lets you sack other creatures put counters on it when creatures that had counters on them die you draw cards that needs to be pushed it's a totally sweet design and it would fit into a deck like this but we need more creatures with plus one plus one counters around and that needs to be pushed a little harder as well you know, so those are the tweaks that I would make. But, I mean, they are tweaks. These are not overhauls on this set. This set is very, very good and probably about as close as you're going to get given the time frames that R&D has to work under. Um, you know, look, not every archetype is supposed to be great, right? But I do feel like there's a couple like the green-black deck that missed so hard that I'd want to pull them up a little bit if I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think we, we did an episode uh, recently where we talked about kind of the design and development of, of the set. And what did that you was, guys think? that was one thing that we, we touched on was mainly a, just like you're saying that the set is just so good. The synergy between archetypes, the way that cards blend in from archetype to archetype. And you have like, you know, the green, the green blue wizards deck, as opposed to the green blue kicker deck. Like these are decks that might not have seen a, on its surface when the set was uh, spoiled, but they yep. come together more often than you might've expected. Definitely. Um, and so, you know, R and D, hit it out of the park with that kind of thing but you're right there are archetypes like green black that really needed help and i i think looking back like if i was re-reviewing the set or something like that i would have looked at like the green black uncommon you know the signpost uncommon and just said like wait a second this is just a bit too underpowered compared to some of yeah. the others yeah but needs a bump for sure it, it is definitely below the curve mm -hmm. So we've got one last question for you here. And uh, okay. I want to shout out our Discord for this because uh, there's around 50 people in it now. Everyone in there is fantastic. They're all uh, super engaged and super willing to improve. And they're, they're all great. Love you guys. You're now, supposed to say everybody but one person is fantastic. <laughs> just not name them, you know. 
Uh, yeah, so, so 40, 49 of you are fantastic, and one of you, yikes, sorry. <laughs> but um, something that I've noticed is that we have a lot of aspiring content creators, and Zach and I ourselves are aspiring content creators. We've been dabbling with streaming and setting up tournaments and that kind of thing, and you are about as successful as a content creator in Magic can get, I would say. So if you had to give a piece of advice to yourself when you were starting out, what's the the, the, the one thing that you wish that you had known earlier in your, your content creation uh, uh, legacy, I guess. Hmm, that's really good. I, um, when, when I started, I had not a lot of models to build from, right? There weren't people hmm. doing this stuff full time. Uh, so I didn't know what the trail was going to look like ahead. And I wanted to try to figure out if it was something that could be done. So I took a big leap and did it. The, which meant that I had to make up a lot of this stuff on my own, right? Like about how I'm going to handle myself, how I'm going to approach these things. I have largely kept those things intact and they've served me well. And I think that they're, I think that they're worth pursuing if you're a, a content creator. So the things that I would say to listen to myself on at the time, which again, I did actually do this. So th this wasn't a thing where I'm like, I made a big mistake and I would have done it differently. This was more like reinforce this, do this more. Uh, which is to, to trust my, my instincts, but mainly my two pillars for content creation, the way that I've approached all of this stuff are content first, listener first, or viewer first, however you want to put it. Mm -hmm. So this comes out in a few different ways. Um, it means being respectful of your audience every single time that you can. And I don't mean when you interact with them. Of course, you're going to be respectful of the people that you interact with. You're not a jerk, right? So that part's easy. What I mean is somebody asked me, hey, will you retweet this thing? Sure, I could do that. And a lot of people are like, yeah, whatever. And they just hit retweet and they don't really think about it. I do think about it. I think if I'm somebody who's following me, would this be relevant to them? Would, is this a waste of their time? Is this something that they actually should check out and that I wholeheartedly would endorse for them to do so that would be worth it? Or is this something that somebody asked me to do a thing, so I'm just going to do a thing? And I started to filter hard on that very early. When it comes to the podcast itself, I'm trying to be respectful of my audience's time, right? The, the world is swamped with content at this point. Uh, they can go anywhere they want to listen to magic stuff, any other hobby they have, anything they want. So if they're going to take the time to listen to what I'm making or doing, I am going to do everything I can to make sure that they get what they want and not stuff that they don't. So Luis and I are generally very on topic on the show, right? We have a kind of a mission statement for what Limited Resources is trying to do. And when we get on the show, we're doing the show. Like you will not find us off on some absurd tangent outside of a sign off, <laughs> you know, where we're not even talking about magic anymore and it's about some personal thing or we're talking about the show. We, we keep that stuff to a minimum because we're trying to say, if you came here to listen to magic content, we want to bring that to you in the cleanest way we can. Um, and this comes up in all these little ways that you'll see different content creators handle different things. If you go on YouTube, right? When I do my, um, the watch videos, for example, uh, I get right into it literally right away. When you hit play on it, I say, Hey, welcome back to the channel this week. And I go, right. There's no graphical thing. There's no, 
I'm so glad you're here. There's no long diatribe about how things have been going for me and whatever. It's immediately into the content because I watch a lot of content and I consume a lot of content and I have heard all of the intros and I've heard all the stuff and I get it. Sometimes it's necessary. I do it on LR, right? It's a way to kind of warm up and get into the show. It's all good. But on YouTube, I don't want to see anything other than the content that I'm trying to get to right now. Mm -hmm. Another thing I do is... This is all, again, in, with, with regards to respecting the audience. I address them directly. I never say you guys on my YouTube channel, ever, because they're only you guys to me, right? I'm the only one in, out of this whole transaction that sees this as me talking to a group of people. When mm -hmm. people interact with me, it's one person interacting with one person. So I will say, thank you for joining me. Not thank you guys for joining me because they look around and they go, well, I get it that he's talking to his audience, but his audience in my case is one person. It's me watching this video. Wow. Right. Yeah. So I don't say you guys and I, and I don't use that term. I mean, I, I'm sure I've slipped or whatever, but you know, I try not to do that because I want it to be a one-on-one -on -one interaction where I'm saying, Hey, you, thank you for watching this because I know you could watch anything else and you chose to watch this and that's awesome right? So I do that. You know, how many times have you watched a YouTube video and it's like, smash that like button, hit subscribe, hit the bell icon, hit the... People that watch YouTube are just inundated with this stuff, right? Where it's just like, oh my God, I, I don't ever want to hear some somebody tell me that again, right? So if I do say anything along those lines, it's at the end. And I don't say that stuff. I put up a little tiny graphical thing that comes in the side that has a little subscribe thing. So if you want to, you can. I respect my audience enough to know that they understand that I want them to like the video. They understand that I want them to subscribe, but I have to earn that. And that doesn't come from me begging them to hit a button on a screen. It comes from me putting content in front of them that is so good that they don't want to miss it. And they ask themselves, is there a way that I could not miss when the next video comes out? And then they hit the subscribe button, mm -hmm. right? These are the things that, that I try to do on from top to bottom rather than, you know, like, remember I mentioned the content comes first and the listeners come first, right? It, there's a lot of people and I'm using YouTube as an example, cause it's more visible than um, podcasts, but everything applies to podcasts too, where, People follow algorithms. They they try to conform their content to the to the platform because the platform rewards them for doing so. For example, if you look on YouTube, most videos are between nine and ten minutes long, and that's because the algorithm has determined that for a short form video, that's the optimal length to be able to show the most amount of ads while keeping people's attention just long enough that they'll watch some percentage of the video. In reality, that video, that percentage is actually very small. You know, if you can get somebody to watch uh, your average view time of like two minutes or whatever on a nine or 10 minute video, you're doing great. Like that's where you want to be. And so the algorithm will, will reward that because it lets them serve more ads. The problem is what if you had more to say? What if the video that you made really needed to be 18 minutes long to get your point across or to show the thing that you wanted to show or to tell the story you wanted to tell? Mm -hmm. If you decide, well, I want to get more views. And so therefore I'm going to conform to this algorithm. Then your video ends up looking like everybody else's and you don't end up pushing, doing the thing that you are good at or that you want to make. So I ignore that stuff, right? I, I mean, the videos I'm making on the watch channel are 45 minutes to an hour. They're obscenely long <laughs> for 
modern content, but I don't care, right? Because what I want to do is I want to tell the story of this thing that I did, and that's how long it takes me to do that. And as it turns out, there's room in the content space for things that don't conform to the exact optimal everything, right? You can, one of my favorite podcasts is called Hardcore History. It's like six hours long. Like literally each episode, they, they don't come out very often, as you might imagine, mm-hmm. are four to six hours long. And the guy who does it, crazy support. Right? People pay for these things. They throw money at him you know, because they need it. Anybody who, who's like an expert in the podcast space would say, you cannot have a podcast that's four to six hours long. Like you just can't do that. It's got to be, you know, 50 to 70 minutes or whatever people say it is is optimal. I don't, and I don't care what they say, you know, but this guy, he made it work. Right. And like, it turns out that that is a space that it has enough. Now, sure. You may not get as many views as you want, but is that really what you're doing? If you wanted to get views, you wouldn't be talking about magic. I wouldn't be talking about watches, right? I would be doing the the low tier crap that people pump out on all these different things. You know, the gossip stuff or the, you won't believe what happened next clickbait crap, right? <laughs> like it's about what you want to be doing. So you need to figure out what that is and then do it rather than try to conform it, you know, to, to the other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to the content game, you know, you have to take a stand. You, you cannot make the exact same thing that everybody else is making and expect to succeed at that. You have to say, this is what I'm bringing to the table. And you also have to be willing to say, and not a whole lot of people want to watch that. And if that's the case and you don't want to continue doing it, that makes sense to me. Because of course we are all looking for some type of an audience, right? We wouldn't do it if nobody watched. So you may need to make adjustments on that level, but you don't want to do them just because, you know, some algorithm tells you to. Yeah. So the title of this video is going to be uh, interview with Marshall Sutcliffe. You won't believe what happened. <laughs> yeah. You won't believe the fourth question we ask him. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> but actually like Zach and I have had a similar conversation to this where we were talking about how, uh, one of the first things that we talked about when we were starting this podcast was like, we talk about like, we're best friends. We talk about magic all the time. We just wanted to start recording it. And we are like, well, we, we know that there's so many good magic limited content creators out there. We don't want to be like knock off LR because mm-hmm. LR exists and it's fantastic. Right. So and there's Lords is, of limited and a whole bunch yeah, of them yeah. that if you're trying to be the hardcore strategy podcast, you're up against it. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot of, a lot of people that are established in that space. Yeah. And we started to see the data coming in where we were seeing um, our episodes that focused on things like gameplay and things like that. were tending to get more views and we were saying, well, this is great. We, we like this. This is fun to have viewers because that means we're doing something right. But uh, mm-hmm. Then we started to get around to like, well, what were some of the things we wanted to talk about? Like art and flavor and nonsense and literal draft chaff. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what we love because that's uh, why we love magic. So yeah. that's – and it turns out some of those episodes that we've done were ones that we've gotten some of the best feedback on. People saying like this awesome. was great. Like uh, you, you, you were making up magic cards to talk about real world people and scenarios. And like this is funny and, and I like this. And people were responding positively to that. So – uh, th- that kind of shift in the focus, and I guess coming from, uh, I'd say you're an expert in this, uh, an expert's perspective as well, it is pretty validating to know that even though this, you know, uh, we're not going to be the the viral hit of the ne- tomorrow, but um, I think we're pretty happy with what we're doing. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And, and the community that. is happy too because you know we're building one, and the fact that we can even say that is is ridiculous. <laughs> like the fact that we're sitting here, like doing this, and there's people that are gonna that like we're are gonna listen to this and, and be like, wow, that was that was neat. Like we're so humbled by this and we're yeah. so thankful for our listeners. Hey, you guys are doing it right. Seriously, that that is the right approach in my mind because th- there you you've seen, I'm sure we've all seen the people that are trying to to build something up really really quickly and they use all these horrible tricks and all these stupid things that are just like they're so cringe. Like every time, <laughs> you know, like when when people try to buy social media followers, you yeah. know, by like bribing them or whatever. Like, I'll give you this. If, you know, uh, sometimes people just straight up buy them, like literally purchase them from some bot farm or whatever, which is just completely ridiculous. But, mm-hmm. you know, even the other stuff where like you create a bunch of spam in people's feeds or whatever in the hopes that you're going to get followers, you know, I just, that stuff just never, I never see anybody who's long-term successful at this stuff do that. Yeah. And I think that's Ever. like, you have something to say on that. Cause you've been at this for over 10 years with, with like yeah. 500 approaching 530 episodes of LR. Like you, you've seen the long-term success. So I definitely, uh, I have, I've seen a lot of people come and go. I really have that, that came in and thought that they had the next big thing. And, you know, maybe even they caught on a little bit and then gone. Right. And mm-hmm. cause it turns out it's really, really difficult to continually make content year after year. It really is hard. I mean, that that's the hardest part about it. And, you know, I, not to go too long here, uh, for your question, but the other thing I would say is don't be afraid to monetize, but do it responsibly. You know, um, I don't take advertisements from things that I don't use, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I've shopped at channel fireball for a really long time. So yeah. when I had them on, I made sure that they were in the, and I told them straight up, like, you're never going to tell me what to say or not say on the show. Like, you know, you can tell me what, what things you want to push from CFB or whatever. I don't have a problem with that, but like, I will never get an email from you that says, Hey, you know, you mentioned star city on the show and we like it. If you didn't do that, that's never going to happen. Like, like I will just walk away from this in a heartbeat. If you ever try to dictate what the content is, I control the content and you trust me. And if you don't, then we, we can break it off and that's fine. You know, and they're like, nope, we don't want to have any part of that. We, we know where, where you stand and where you're at and you, and they've never said anything to me, but I made that a hundred percent clear at the beginning, you know, that that was going to be the case. And these are the types of things that I think you need to do to gain credibility, to gain the trust and to build a real following. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember seeing this a couple of times that like when you get a community around you who actually care right? It is not because you did a thing that said, retweet this and I'll give away a hat to somebody or whatever, right? <laughs> Those people don't care. If Even if they do end up following you, it's empty. Mm-hmm. There is a quality to your community, you know, and it, it, with, with regards to action. Like I remember, um, you know, I, I don't ask people to retweet my stuff. You know, I just, I don't put that on people. And the one time I did was when I launched the Kickstarter <laughs> for the original thing for LR when I had, um, you know, kind of taking that, that leap. And I got 200 retweets in like a second, you know, because people are like, I listen to that guy because he doesn't ask me to do this all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they understand that, you know, it's something that you, you, you don't, you know, you, you don't take lightly or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to take all this advice into account. Like this is, this is the phase that we're at right now where we, mm-hmm. we we're kind of like just leaving the diving board and now we have to figure out what trick we're doing on the way down so uh we've been we've been starting to look into patreon and and that kind of thing 
I guess this is another kind of a side question for you. Something about me feels weird, like asking for money, I guess. Yeah. But then oh, another yeah. half of my brain knows that this is work. Like Zach and I spend hours of our weeks uh, doing this and we put a lot of thought and effort into it. So h- how do you reconcile that in your head? Do you, do you have guilt about it? How do I not make myself feel that, you know? Yeah, no, I, I had a huge bridge to cross when it came to monetizing the podcast. Like I did not want to do it. I, I didn't. We had a sponsor, but they were paying us basically nothing. And I was like, that's fine. Like it covers random, you know, internet costs, you know, for doing the, the like hosting the podcast and stuff like that. Cause I was just, you know, for the first two years or whatever, I just did it out of my own pocket mm-hmm. and, you know, microphones and stuff like that. But I also realized that there was an ultimatum that would approach, right? Which is that doing content on the level that I do and you guys are doing is too it's too labor intensive and it takes too much of a commitment to expect you to do it for years and years and years on end without any motivation or any you know, with having to do the nine to five and do this and all that kind of stuff. Something is going to slip. Mm -hmm. And what that means to me is you either monetize and make it a part of your, your work life or it goes away. And when I thought about that, I thought that's a, that's a realistic take on this. You know, I really like doing this, but then like, Ryan left the show and I had to get a new co-host that was stressful and difficult. And then John left and I had to do it again. And I'm just like, boy, this is just a lot of extra stuff to have to keep, you know, there's going to come a point where a a co-host leaves and I'm just like, yeah, I think I'm just good here, you know, Mm -hmm. but I do love doing the show. But then I realized, I thought to myself, well, what if I went to the listeners that love listening, you know, and, and they tell us, Hey, this is great. And, you know, that give us all this great feedback and feel like they're part of something and all that. What if I told them, you know, I'm just not even going to ask you if you would pay me a dollar or whatever. I'm just going to leave. I wouldn't want to be on the other side of that. And I am a content consumer myself. And there are podcasts and YouTube channels that have enriched my life, that have gotten me through times that were tough, that have made me feel like I was a part of something when I didn't. And I would pay them, and I do, in fact, pay them in a heartbeat. And all they'd have to do is ask. And I would be like, no question. I would give you a few bucks a month to keep doing this, Mm -hmm. right? And so I felt like it was kind of crappy for me to assume that my inhibitions about, you know, taking, monetizing the podcast would override what people actually wanted. So my solution was, well, then let's find out because nobody was monetizing podcasts and magic at the time. So I did a Kickstarter because Patreon and that type of thing didn't exist yet. And I got a great response and I was like, okay, this is a real thing. Right. And I always have approached it to monetize it responsibly because it still doesn't sit well with me, to be honest. <laughs> it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But like, I've done little things to make it fit for me. For example, like our Patreon is per podcast episode, not per month. And I did it that way, even though they recommend doing it per month, because you can make more money on average. I wanted to do it per episode, because I wanted it to be transactional. If we don't provide you with the thing that you're paying for, you don't pay, right? And when we do, you do, right? And that way, yeah. I don't have to feel like, if we skip a week, which we never do, by the way, but if we did, that I I've let down my followership or my listener base, right? I can say no, it's okay. Like they didn't get charged for that. Everything's good. It's all transactional, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but if I were you, 
Ben, and, and I was struggling with it, which I absolutely, I, I literally had to be talked into it. Like I was not wanting to do it. It really made me feel uncomfortable. But I said, I want to be able to do, I want to be able to commit to this in a real way. I want to be able to do this long-term. I also want the ability to do other things. Like now we do videos for it and we do more stuff that I wouldn't have. I, I can't justify, keep on putting in my own money over and over and over again, year after year. And like I said, it had already been two or three years by the time I, I actually started to do this, that I had just paid for everything out of my own pocket. And it's like, you know, if I want to grow this a little bit, I'm going to need more than the paycheck I get from my day job, you know, and that's just part of the equation. And again, one of the best things about it is that the, the, the way that this happens for the most part is through crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, whatever it's called, Patreon, you know, and it's optional. It's a hundred percent optional, right? Like they can leave or pause or adjust their thing at any time. So if a pandemic hits and they're like, crap, you know, I can't really afford this anymore. No problem. Just sign off of it. You can put it on pause. You can just quit it. No big deal. There's no obligation of any sort whatsoever. This is simply putting it out into the world where here's a thing you can do if you choose to do so. And mm -hmm. it turns out, you know, two to 3% of your audience will do so, you know? And again, I don't try to game it. You know, I don't try to do it where I'm like, well, I could get more if I did this. I don't have anything behind the paywall stuff, you know, that's fundamental to the show that you couldn't get just by for free. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't put, you know, the show up early. I don't put stuff like that out. I get a couple, there's a couple of bonus things you can get. Like, uh, you can get an uncut version of the show, for example, like where it's unedited, you know, that's at one of the levels, but mm -hmm. that's not something that I feel is like fundamental to the podcast. That's just kind of a fun, you can hear Luis and I basically BS before and after the show, you mm -hmm. know, you can watch, you, if you're a patron, you can watch the, you can watch us record the show live on a video feed now. Right. So that kind of lets you, you're in a chat with us and you can watch. Again, if you're not, you still get the show the immediate moment that it comes out along with everybody else. And I didn't want to create like a class system of our listeners, you know, where I was like, well, you pay us more, therefore you get the show early and you're better than these other people. That mm -hmm. made me extremely uncomfortable. So I kept it to like fun upside bonuses rather than access to the show or to the fundamental parts of it. That's another way you can help, you know, kind of that that feels a little bad to me, so I, I chose not to do it, and I, I think it probably would to you too, Ben, based on mm -hmm. hearing yeah. you talk about it. You know, so you can do it right is the point, and then everybody's happy. You know, people are happy to do it. Think about the content that you listen to, right? The stuff that you really love, right? You would pay for it, and it's it's not much. It's a few bucks a month, right? It's not like we're talking about somebody coming and being like, you know, you have a new bill, right? It's a few bucks well worth it. And you're getting it for free if anyway. And of course you can stop anytime. So I, I would be mad if the content that I love took away my opportunities to, to support them and let them keep doing the thing that they were doing. And if they just decided to quit the show because they didn't want to do it, I'd be like, what the hell? I'd pay you money. You know? So I put myself in the listener's shoes and, and decided that that's how I'm going to approach it. Yeah. It's a good mentality so, to have, I think. Definitely. Yeah. And it's been great. I mean, it, it, it opens up so many doors for the content too. Well, thanks Marshall. Honestly, this has been an absolute blast. I think Ben and I have been talking about like well before we did the podcast and well before we even thought about doing a podcast, we had always wanted to get the opportunity. I think everybody who listens to you guys, all the content creators, all of the pro magic players, I think everybody who's a fan of the crowd wants the opportunity to, to talk to to these people and, and yourself. Uh, but it's, it's 
honestly a dream come true for us to be able to sit here and just have a, a real cool conversation with you and to dive into a little bit more about you as a person and and what you like out of magic and all this kind of stuff so it's been an absolute blast thank you so much for for being on well thank you i really appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on and uh it was really fun like seriously you guys it was a really really fun in-depth interview and I, th that's how i like them i like getting real you know <laughs> and i like talking about real stuff and you guys did that so thank you for having me on i really appreciate it absolutely, absolutely. um and obviously we are diehard lr fans <laughs> so like <laughs> we we want to stay kind of like in engaged in the community and and uh, with all this stuff that you you've helped us with like it, it, this has been so cool for us like we're, we're gonna take the stuff that you just told us uh, and i, I hopefully all our listeners do as well um and apply that to this uh so awesome I, yeah you're definitely I, are... I love to help out anytime i mean i've always been of the mentality of the rising tide rising all the ships thing like i don't look at our content space as like a competitive thing i you know i think that like if you guys are successful then that's just better for everybody mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know so i'm always happy to help out awesome thank thanks you thanks so much well, everybody, that's going to do it this week. Um, feel free, if you haven't already, jump into the Discord. It's completely free. And that's kind of one of the, the points that Marshall touched on there about like the Patreon and everything. We don't want to block that off. We want to have the community talking and, and engaged and uh, informing each other about the decks they're drafting and all that kind of stuff. So jump into the Discord. The link for that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Uh, and if you're if you're into it, check out our Patreon. We have a few different things. Check out LR's Patreon too. If you're interested in LR, go check them out because they also do great work over there. Marshall, do you have any, any you want to plug your socials, plug the podcast, anything you uh, you want to talk about before we sign off? Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if people want to find me on social media, it's Marshall underscore LR and everything for the podcast is at LRcast.com that has links to to basically everything. And then I know I've, I've mentioned it a few times and it's completely off topic, but I do have my uh, my watch channel, which is I restore vintage watches on it. And if anybody heard and was like, what is this thing about? You can find it at youtube.com slash slash wristwatch revival. Super cool. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us, everybody. Um, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. So before we go, I have a quick little sign off story time. This feels like a sign-off. What is going on here? <laughs> uh, look, we, we've adopted a few things from LR. You are our inspiration. Right. Let's do um, it. So I, I wanted to tell a quick little story. So Zach and I have been best friends for ages, and that includes going to magic events together. So we went to Grand Prix, New Jersey. And uh, what, what year did we say that was before the show started? Uh, 2018, 2017? Yeah, I don't remember. It was um, back when the Mardu Vehicles deck was popular and standard. And we tried to bring a stupid Esper control list to that, that event designed <laughs> so, to farm. So Zach and I, we homebrewed Esper control. It was kind of oh. sweet. Um, For a GP, we, yeah, not the best we, thing. We had ever. like disallows, fumigates, torrential gear hulks. Like it was a sick deck. Uh, did that it work? dope. Well, it was designed to farm the Marty Vehicles deck. Neither one of us played the, that deck. We never played against yeah. it. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was like 70% of the field. Or, well, maybe not that much. You know, it was in the 50% or whatever. But, However, I will say that even though the tournament itself may have been a bit of a flop, we did have some great takeaways. And one of those that, uh, Marshall, you were actually involved in, I've got here my playmat from Matt GP. And I don't know if you can see whose signature it is. I uh, do. I can right see there. that. Yeah. So, right next to uh, Huey. You got Reed Duke on there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got the all-stars. So uh, 
That was one of the best takeaways. And I remember from that weekend that you asked us how our, our games were going, that kind of thing. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So I think it's really fun that we've come kind of full circle now. Uh, and we appreciate you so much and everything you've done for the community and for us as players, too. Oh, that is awesome. I love hearing that stuff. I mean, I meet so many people at GPs, but I love talking to people at those. It's my favorite part. Like, on one hand, it can be tiring because I like get tired <laughs> from that stuff. Like yeah. I'm one of those people that like loses my battery <laughs> over time on that. But at the same time, um, the chance to interact face to face with the community is I miss it. I miss it so bad right now. I just haven't seen anybody in so long. And I get to meet awesome people all the time like you guys. And it's just, uh, yeah, I miss that really bad. Well, hopefully we'll get back to that shortly. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think we're all in the same boat. All the 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 magic fans, and we didn't even yeah. play competitively. You know, we were just there to goof <laughs> off. And we we actually okay. Small tangent to that story, but at the we because we flopped that event so poorly, we were like, mm-hmm. you know, I think we were out of the main event uh, round four or something, round three. We were just all right. We're dropping. So we went into a, a team sealed, which is Ben and I. It's our favorite format. Yeah, you know, we get in there, we do some two headed giant sealed and and just get to deck build together. And and we both like to play different types of decks, as we talked about earlier. So that always works out for us. And it's always a fun time. So we we went and did some sealed. And I don't remember what the format was, Ben. Do you? It was Aether Revolt. It was Aether Revolt. Yeah. Yeah. So we went and did that and we it was a three or four round event. And we got we were undefeated up to the last round. And. You know, it was it was late. We were exhausted. We were hungry <laughs> and we got to the table and we're like, you know what? We're playing against somebody who's also three and oh or whatever the, the record was. We we went to them and we said, hey, do you guys want to just split? We, we kind of want to get out of here and get some food and we're both going to get prize packs or whatever if we just split here and, and take the draw. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really a huge fan of intentional draws. It's kind of a different topic, but this was a casual form, a casual event and whatever. We were all hungry. Yeah. Well, these guys were like, no, we came here to play. So we're going to sit Uh-oh. down and we're going to play. And Ben and Uh-oh. I smashed them. Then that's, that's fine. That's totally fine. Totally fine, but, but it's also usually their death now. <laughs> and Ben and I absolutely smashed them. Like oh, both of us amazing. had one drop, two drop, three drop. You're dead. It was amazing. Oh, that is fantastic. I mean, it's karma, right? It's like yeah. you guys were hungry. You know, they kept you from your food. And so you got to your food in the quickest way you could. Yeah. (laughs) That said, the very next event we went to, which was GP New Jersey for Theros Beyond Death, like this past year, Mm. like maybe the last in-person event before the the pandemic, we drafted, okay, it was my birthday also. We were there on my birthday. (laughs) Yeah. We opened a Dream Trawler and a Kiora Best of the Sea God in the same pool. Whoa, happy birthday. I know, right? We played both of them. He had uh, uh, some kind of red, I think it was like a red-white aggro deck, and I was playing blue-white controller. I, I had that. Clothis. Oh, that's right. Red-green, red, red green, yeah. And we we also went undefeated up to the last event, or last round in that in that event as well. And then mm-hmm. we, we play against these two younger guys, like probably 12, 11 and 12 maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they were young young guys, and we're like, all right, they're here. Like they know how to jam. They're in the end of this event, this format or yeah. the event, and... They, they know what they're what they're doing. So we, you know, we're playing, we're playing and they're making like some weird plays that it's like, I don't I don't want to say it's because they're young that they're making these weird plays, but something feels off about what's going on. Like we're assuming weird they know what they're box. doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. We got to a point where I was like, they're playing something that I should counter and I have one counter spell in my hand 
And I look at Ben and I was like, I smell a Thassa's Oracle, but I'm going to counter this anyway. Two turns later, they mill themselves out and play a Thassa's Oracle. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. God, that's incredible. Wow. You even had the read too. Yeah, I, I, I will take a little bit of the blame for that one. I was like, no, nah, just counter the spell. There's no way they have Thassa's Oracle. Yeah, it's a rare. <laughs> what, what are the chances, yeah. right? <laughs> well, in any case, I, I look forward to all of us getting back to Grand Prix nonsense soon. 